listen to this commit message. It says, the service we were using to get Twitter avatars client side is no longer working. So this is a very simple TypeScript server that does exactly one thing, return the avatar for a Twitter handle. It's very small, untested, and doesn't handle errors very well. <laughs> but it should do the trick and can stand as a basis for future server integration. Don't you love that pitch there at the end? Like, listen, <laughs> we get serious about this sucker. We're going to rewrite a whole server site thing. I love that message, Nick. I like that I called out that it's untested <laughs> it doesn't and work. doesn't handle errors well, because usually that's just implied with my code. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Sentry. Build better software faster, diagnose, fix, and optimize the performance of your code. More than a million developers in 68,000 organizations already use Sentry, and that includes us. Here's the easiest way to try Sentry. Head to Sentry.io slash demo slash sandbox. That is a fully functional version of Sentry that you can poke at. And best of all, our listeners get the team plan for free for three months. Head to Sentry.io and use the code PARTYTIME when you sign up. Again, Sentry.io and use the code PARTYTIME. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Good news for Changelog++ members. This is one of those fancy extended episodes, so stick around to the end. And if you aren't a member, get in on the action at changelog.com slash plus plus. Special thanks to Fastly for shipping JS Party all around the world to wherever you listen. Check them out at Fastly.com. All right, it is party time, y'all. Friends, the sounds of those Breakmaster Slender Beats means it's time once again for JS Party. I am Jared, your internet friends, and I have three of my regular JS Party panelists here with us today. First one is Faross. Hey, Faross, what is up? Hey, hey. And we also have K-Ball here. What's up with you, K-Ball? Hey, I was just enjoying how we were all bobbing our heads to the beat. It was pretty fun. <laughs> I agree. We should get a synchronized version of that out there on some sort of animated GIF or something. Get that done, Nick. Can do. Just kidding. Hey, guess who else is here? It's Nick Nisi. What's up, Nick? Ahoy, hoy. How's it going? It's going good because we're here for you today, Nick. This is your big show. This is your coming out party. Oh, no. It's not a TypeScript party, but you're going to find a way of making it. It's not a Vim party. It's a, a React party? What? What's going on here? So, Nick, we're tentatively titling this episode Nick's Big Rewrite. He recently did a talk at React Global Online Summit about componentizing an application state, an application with React and X state. And to do that, he has rewritten a application that he previously wrote in Dojo in React with X state. So we're here to talk about that. We're going to hear your story, your findings, your, your troubles along the way, whatever you want to tell us, Nick, and then we're going to react to your React tale. Go ahead. Take it away, Nick. I get it. That's awesome. Do you like that one? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, I don't know, it was like what, maybe a year or two, probably two years ago. Yeah. Creating that, that game board for the, for JS Danger, which is what it was originally called. And it's kind of been genericized a little bit more to a quiz show. And yes, it has like theming for both JS Party and GoTime, which is really awesome. But I wrote it in Dojo because that was what I was super familiar with back then. I was kind of ramping back into React. 
it was just a fun little project to kind of play with that and get get um, the game board built out based on like a set of configurable options that you can pass in so that you could just like develop these large JSON objects that define how the game is played. And Jared is probably very familiar with that because I think you've probably developed the most of them. Oh, large JSON objects. I just heard someone describe React to me as just transforming JSON into pixels and like that's React. Right. All you do is transform JSON into pixels and now it's a brain worm and I can't have it get it out of my head. Yeah. I like that. Well, it's actually a nice way of defining, I guess it's really configuration in this case for the game. So like mm-hmm. Nick said, we have multiple games. You all may know our JS Danger episodes, which is like our Don't Call It Jeopardy game show. You can go back into the feed and find those. They're, they're pretty fun. And we also genericize it, like Nick said, to run on the Go Time podcast, their own version called Go Panic. And every time we have an instance of that game, it would be nice to not have to hand code or rewrite or do a bunch of stuff. If I could just author the different bits, the questions, the answers, the the people involved, et cetera, in a JSON file and let some sort of smart piece of software basically hydrate that into an application, like that's pretty usable for, uh, at least for a, a nerd like me, maybe not so usable for somebody who's not a programmer. But once you have a JSON data format, you can then build builder UIs pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the general idea. And so, yeah, it's all JSON authoring. And then Nick takes it from there. And you wrote it in Dojo, like you said. Yeah. Which for me wasn't so great because I had a hard time contributing, (laughs) (laughs) but maybe it's just because I'm dense. Yeah, I should clarify that it is not like, it's not Dojo 1.0, which was, has been around since like 2005. It was modern Dojo. I don't remember the exact version. It was probably like six or seven, something like that. But it looks and feels a lot like React, if you're familiar with React. It uses JSX and it kind of has a, almost a functional react like style to it. You can just write like plain functions, but you do a lot of wrapping of it. You like create a a typed wrapper and then return that or pass a a callback to it that then renders everything. And the, that typing helps you like, it's like a factory function that creates all of the types for you, you know, applying the prop types and things like that, and then returns it for you. And, you know, it's treated like a regular component from there. The other thing is Dojo has always been kind of considered this like kitchen sink framework from the 1.0 days, it's had everything in it. And there's the Dojo already did that from JSConf that has been catchy. And it, it was no no exemption here. Like instead of using something like Redux or anything like that, I was using just the, the Dojo stores API that it provides to store all of that. And so it would take in the, the JSON object and then just break that down into the different pieces that it needed to store. And that's things like a list of contestants, a list of rounds, and the rounds have categories in them. Uh, If you think to the Jeopardy board, like one round, you have have five different categories going across the top. And then in a full round, you'll have five questions, like rated 100 through 500 in point value for each of those categories. And those are the, the values that you can pick from. And so it just like set that all up in this object store that Dojo comes with. And you can then create these, uh, I'm completely forgetting the name of of what you create, but they're like these executors that are ways of modifying like those little pieces of the object in a way that is reactive so that it'll trigger an update to the UI whenever those small pieces are updated. And so like you, you define like, you know, if you want to update a user, you would like pick the user and 
then have some way of filtering down to the exact user that you want if, if it's in an array and then update their score or mark a question as used or think, those are kind of the, the two main updates that you'd have to do. But then it just gets rendered out. And from the early days of it, I can't remember exactly where the conversation came about, but Jared, you and I were talking about having that as like some cool demo project where we had it in like a number of different frameworks or like implementations of it just as a cool way to, to kind of play around with that. So when I decided to put together this talk, I was thinking of like a good application or, or like, yeah. you know, I can't use my day job stuff in the talk. Right. So I wanted like some, right. some good application that I could use to, um, kind of portray the concepts that I wanted to get across. And it was really actually a good, small, like contained project because it does have kind of a few different views. You have the main game board, you have a question view, you have a, a way to list contestants, uh, like a contestant view, and you have a winner view. And then it's not just like a boring form. So like it has that right. appeal to it as well. It's like more interesting. And then, yeah, you are dealing with like this larger structure. And when it when I'm thinking about like, the state that I want to put together and the talk that I was giving, which was kind of talking about X state specifically, it fit really well into a finite state machine to where I had like, you know, these finite states, but then I had like an infinite number of questions that I could have and like how I deal with that. And, and then, yeah, it just seemed like a really good way to, to kind of lay out those concepts and kind of the, the crux of the talk, like it was a, a junior level talk kind of introducing X state with React as like a, a state machine uh, or a, uh, a state management library that you can use in your app. And the piece that I was really like trying to convey across was because of the way that you can develop state machines and specifically X state can render state charts from those machines. You can treat your whole application state as a component, just like you would like your React component, like a, you know, a player component that shows a player with their score and things like that. You could have that for the entire state of the game. And you can even use Storybook to render out that chart so that you can just go look at Storybook and see exactly how the state is supposed to behave and work on it and complete it without any other UI being generated. So this is very much talk-driven development. You didn't do this to learn or to, to have fun. You did it for a talk. Maybe you learned and had fun along the way, but that's why this was something you're doing. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, will we have our multi-implementation game board or you, did you replace the Dojo stuff or is there like, we'll have a Dojo version and we'll have a React version in the repo together? How is that going to end up? Yeah. So I haven't gotten that far yet, but right now they're just in kind of two separate repos, but I would like to combine them and then maybe pull it out into more of like a mono repo style where you could have the... Uh, a dojo implementation and you could have a react implementation and really update the dojo version to use x state like kind of have x state be its own component too or its own package that every one of them consumes and then that way all of the game logic is in one place that can be updated for all of them that's really cool that's like almost like a to-do mvc yeah i was thinking that it's like the new to-do mvc yeah though i i wonder if standardizing x state is gonna prevent some takes or some approaches? That's a good question. Yeah, it definitely could. There's some some warts around, uh, well, specifically X-State and React. Like, there's some ways that I would like to do things that are a little bit harder because of, I mean, I guess it's more of the way I set things up, but I kind of treat X-State as being this 
project that exists completely outside of React, meaning like outside of any kind of React context or anything like that. So all of the really cool projects and things that you want to use in React, like hooks, the React query specifically is like a, a really big one that I want to be able to use that I can't call from Xdate. Well, I kind of can, but it exists outside of there. So I can't just like make hook calls. And in this project, I haven't done anything too crazy with that, but in other projects, like I have <laughs> done a couple of different iterations of things where it's like setting up my own pub sub listener to have like a, a component that's only job is to listen for a publish to happen and then do something in react land because it can call hooks. <laughs> and then I can just uh, publish those out from the state machine and it'll update in the, the UI. So how many, generally speaking, lines of code are we talking about? Like if somebody was like, well, I would I'm a Vue advocate. I use Vue. I would love to do one of these in Vue. And then you have the Vue implementation alongside these other ones. Is that like a weekend project? Is that like it took you 40 hours and no one wants to do 40 hours for something that's silly? What do you think would be the, the amount of work that would have to go into like each version of this if we were to have such a thing? Yeah. So not a lot, I don't think, because I guess it only took me a couple of weeks, you know, very much part time around kids schedules and everything to get the dojo version working a couple of years ago. And it only took me like a couple of hours to get it converted to React. And just running clock on the project, the React version, it's uh, 37,627 lines of code. However, 36,000. Was that node modules? No, that I, I am okay. excluding <laughs> everything, like all of the get ignored files. So it's 36,000 lines of that are the JSON files, the config files for. Ah, yes. So it's a thousand lines roughly. Yeah. 1,204 lines with 837 of them being TypeScript. Oh, wait, no, that's the Dojo version. So 1,200 lines, Dojo version. Yeah. Buyer beware, it's written in TypeScript, so that does knock it a few points, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> You'll come around. No, the, the React version is 1,342 lines, so a little bit bigger, but not much. That does seem very tractable, and I, I wonder even if you could step back from a React version and say, okay, what if we built a, a version of this using Next? What if we built a version of this using Remix? What if we built a version of this using you know, what have you? Mm -hmm. You know, separating out. I think keeping the X state actually as an implementation detail rather than something that's shared. Because oh yeah, I don't know how well this would work in like a Remix project. If I was thinking in Vue, I would True. probably want to use Vuex rather than right X state. So yeah, the common denominator should be the features and the JSON files. Yep. Like if those two things should be the things that don't change across implementations. And I think everything else would be fair game, but Nick, maybe uh, open up X state a little bit. Now we have a whole episode with X state's creator. So we have a deep dive that you were on that one, Nick, so people can go back into the feed yeah, and get a real deep dive on X state. But for those who are just like, okay, I know what redux is kind of, or I know that I have state problems inside my single page apps. What does XState bring to the table and why was it something that you wanted to reach for and teach other people this technology? Yeah, so that was episode 191 of our podcast where we had David on to talk about XState. And XState was something that I was interested in because one thing that we were doing in my day job was kind of doing this complete refactor or rewrite of a like one of the most complex pieces of our application. And our dev team 
was working with our product team on like scoping out exactly everything that it needs to do. And they were using this mural board that ended up just being giant with like, we're going to start here. This is like the entry into it. And then based on this criteria, you're going to go here. And based on this other criteria, you go here. And it like branched off into like 15 different branches. And then they like, some of them came back together and then went back out. And the whole time I was like, looking at that, I'm like, that kind of looks like a state chart almost. And I was like, what if we could just throw this mural board out and have a generated board based on the code, the actual code that's running. And it would have every little intricate detail of that. Every possible little tiny bit of state that we need to keep track of would be kept track of, but we could also like walk through that and it would make sense to everyone at all like technical levels as we're, we're walking through it. And so that was kind of the, the jumping off point for like doing a, a quick spike on X state to see, you know, how we could implement it and what the risks are, where would have been with it and, and all of that. And so we kind of jumped into it from there before that, like we really weren't doing a ton of state management. We don't have a redux at all. And I haven't used redux since the early days of it when it was not very fun to use. It just seemed like a lot of boilerplate scattered across a lot of different files in like the recommended ways of setting it up that just didn't seem worth it at the time. And this was like pre yes, 2015. So like a long time ago and it's gotten a lot better since then, I'm sure. And there's a lot of projects like Redux toolkit that are built up to help with those things, I think. But X date was like something that I was really excited about. I liked that it's more framework agnostic. You can bring it in and use it anywhere. And I really liked the ideas of it. And just the, the appeal of generating that chart was, uh, was really big on my list for trying it out. This episode is brought to you by Vercel, the platform that enables front-end teams to do their best work. Vercel combines the best developer experience with an obsessive focus on end-user performance and I'm here with founder and CEO of Vercel, Guillermo Rauch. So Guillermo, I had you on Founders Talk recently talking about making the web faster and how Vercel is built on three pillars, develop, preview, ship, but talk about why it's so important to make the web faster. I think first of all, the web is the most open and exciting platform to build on. And listeners are going to be enthusiastic about JavaScript, which is one of our areas of focus. We think that by creating amazing tools and open sourcing them, developers will go on to create amazing experiences for the end users. And I think that's where the concept of making the web faster to build and faster to end users. That's the, the crucial mission of Vercel. Uh, this is what's led to us investing all across the board to build the is end-to-end platform. Started with the framework that you develop with, the workflow of pushing up a change and seeing it instantly and being able to share that change with your collaborators. All the way to shipping to the edge network of Vercel that makes your site or application globally fast, globally available. So it's this very comprehensive mission of making the web end-to-end faster and more open. I love it. Globally fast, globally available on a more open web. Learn more at Vercel.com. Again, Vercel.com. JSON files are somewhat interesting because they have the information about this version of the game, but they also have kind of some config like 
the name of this game? Is it the JS Danger version? Is it the Go Panic version? Because we'll style the game board differently mm -hmm. there as well. But then we also have information about the people playing the game, like the, the actual state of the game as it's being played as well. So it's kind of like we're munging everything into one concern. That being said, it's not so complex that we would need these different JSON files. But have you found that harder to work with? Because at one point you're just kind of reading these things in and then there's other areas that you're actually reading and writing as the game gets played. Yeah, it's not too terrible because it's not a lot. Yeah. Like if it grew any bigger, it probably would be more cumbersome and it's something that I'd want to separate. But like one thing that that is in there and it's kind of just in there so that we have a, a value is like for each player that's playing, it lists a score. And... For each question, there's like a used Boolean that starts off as false. And then as we go, it changes to true. And ideally, I'd like to have that like actual game state, like, you know, this player's current score and whether this question has been used separated from the actual like game data that's playing, that's being plugged in. But I think it was just as a matter of like quickly getting it going when I originally did it, I just kind of munch them together and have them them set up back in the dojo world. And I guess with X state too, like one of the really cool things is you can on every state, you define the exact events that can happen at that state and exactly what happens on it. And so like I can easily specify, you know, only when a question is being shown, can I actually increment or decrement a score on a user? And I can easily like, set that up so that it's only doing that for the current user that is playing the game or the, the current like player that's answering the question. And so like I'm very locked into one way of doing things. And that's like the benefit of X state, right? You're not, there's no impossible states or states like there's not way, one way to jump from like this one state where I'm showing the game board to this other state where I have a winner. Like I, there, you have to follow a specific flow to get there. And you define that flow exactly how you want, and you can't deviate from that, which is like a really big benefit. So how do you how do you compose these states? It seems like there's quite a lot of latitude. You can you know you can do it in a lot of different ways. Like, did you do like a state for every question? Like, how do you break it down? Yeah, good question. So the way that I set it up is, uh, I actually have the state machine doing a lot more than it may need to as well. But like when the state machine starts up, it starts off in, you specify like an initial state. And I have two top level states. There's a load state and a game state. Oh, and then a winner state. So the winner state is like the final and the state machine is done at that point. The load state will look for the specified JSON file for the game. Right now it's just hard coded, but to bring it up to parity with the Dojo version, it would like look in the, um, the URL params to get the, the path to the specific JSON file that it, that you want to load. And then it will, it has a state machine that just like triggers a service to do a fetch, grab that JSON data and then populate the context. So state machines have this context that you can set where you can store things that would be like infinite states. So I wouldn't want to have like a unique X state state for every question that we have, because that could be infinite. Instead, I just have like an array of questions in there. And then I have a, I treated it as like a, you know, an idle state showing the game board and then a question state showing a question and then a show answer state internal to that showing the answer on that state. But every time that it gets into there, it's reading what the current question is from the context and then using it right there. So the context is like where you can actually store data that's not state specific or 
could be like infinite states. And then you can read and write from that. So like if a question goes from being unused to used, that wouldn't be a state transition in this system? No, actually it wouldn't. So it would be like once I hit the show question state, then that, or sorry, the show answer state, that's when I consider the question to be used because you wouldn't bring it back up after that. So like you can trigger these side effects once you enter or exit states. And once you enter the show answer state, one side effect that it does is it goes to that question, marks it as used in the context. And then next time it re-renders, it'll update that to blank out that question on the board. Wait, so that's interesting. So what you're saying is that the state machine is the UI state, not the underlying data state. Right. That's how I'm treating it in this. Yeah. But it's kind of both a little bit because it's like, Treating the um, like the loading of the the game data and setting all of that up, and then it goes into like this question state or game idle state where you can actually play the game, and then I am triggering off of that. Like if I'm in the idle state, then render this. I'm not using anything like React Router or anything to to show the different routes. I'm just checking like whether the state matches idle, then show this. If the state matches question then I have a question and render that view. And then if I have a winner, render that view. Okay. But so where is the game, like the ongoing game state of like, what are people's scores and like what's been answered and all of that? Like, how is that modeled? That's not in X state? It is. Yeah. It's in the context. So in the context, there's a contestants array and each one of those has like a name, their Twitter handle, an avatar image, like a, a link to an image and then their score. And that score is the thing that just keeps constantly getting updated as their score changes. So the context object is like a free-for-all. You can <laughs> basically change that however you feel like whenever a state transition happens. Yeah. And there's not really anything enforced in there, right, about how you change it. Right. You enforce it through those actions that you set up. So xState comes with this, like, like, you can set up, you know, anytime an event happens, trigger these actions, which are like side effects. And it has a whole, like helper to help you set that up where you can say assign and give it the key of um, something in the state. So I could say assign contestants and then give it a callback function that will accept the current context and the event that was triggered. So I can pull like data that was passed on that and then return an updated contestants list that has that updated state in there. So if I'm understanding correctly, basically you're controlling the context because it's, it's only being manipulated by actions that are happening within X state. Correct. But does XState have any sort of model or conceptualization for validating context data? Like what types of things are are validated and valid and allowed in that data versus not? Not really. So you can pass in when you when you create it, you can pass in like a generic to define like the shape. So I, I create an interface of like this is exactly what the context looks like. And then it's type safe from there. And I can also create a a type alias of all of the possible events that I can send to it and I'll get a TypeScript error if I try and send an error, uh, an event that is not defined in there. Beyond that, it's pretty much free for all. Like, you know, if I said that this was going to be a string, I can't change it and set it as a number, but that's just TypeScript helping out there. So it seems like there's a bit of an art to deciding when to make something. You could have every question be like its own state mm -hmm. object that get, where it gets used up. And then you could have the context object instead of being an array of questions, it could be an array of state, like nested X state objects, which have state transitions to go to used. Yeah. And so it's like up to you to decide when to, when to do that. Yeah. How do you decide like how much 
X state is too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how do you, where do you draw the line? That, that's a good <laughs> question. And for this and for this talk, I specifically kept it as just like one pretty, a single state machine that has a couple of nested states, but I kept it pretty simple on purpose just so I could fit like when I render that state chart, I could fit it all on the screen and show it. And it's easily something that you could walk through in like the, the main project that I'm working on with X state at my day job, it is actually like there's one orchestrating state machine. And then every page that you go to, it invokes a child state machine to handle the state of that page that doesn't matter to the overall mm -hmm. state. And it's much, much more complex, but that's another thing with X state is like you create these machines and then you invoke them or you interpret them is the function that you call, which like creates an instance of that. And you basically can treat that as like an actor model. Like you have the actor that has its own private state that it can work with. And when I trigger these child machines, they can't access the parent's state, but they can send messages to each other to relay the data that they need up and down the chain. But then everything is treated as private and only accessible by that uh, machine. Here's a heuristic for us when you know you have too many states. It's once you have 50 states, then you have to stop. Like that's the heuristic. So <laughs> we're not letting Puerto Rico in, you know, Washington, D.C. You're not going to be a state. We've got 50 already. That's, that's the limit. So just keep that in mind. It's when introducing new states might disrupt the balance of power. There you go. Question about persistence. So mm -hmm. we talked about this a little bit over the break, but so right now, this is only client persisted. We're not, you know, if you reload the page, it restarts your game. Uh, absolutely. Don't do that. How hard would it be to do something <laughs> stronger than that? Like, could you, you know, store a serialized version of your state machine in yeah. either local state or a database or what have you? Yeah, it doesn't do that currently because I didn't want to complicate the talk any more than I needed to. Yeah. But you absolutely can do that. You can store off a serialized version of the context and you could throw that in like local storage, for example. And then you could read that back in. And when you call that interpret to, to actually like start up the state machine again, you can give it an initial state and you can give it an initial context to start with. So you can give it, you can say like, oh, here's the context that I pulled out of local storage, set all of the values exactly as they were. And oh, by the way, when you refresh the page, you had a question open. Here's the que the current question. And so you can actually like trigger it to not start at the top of the state machine or like whatever you signified as the initial state. You can have it start exactly where it left off from there. So is that relatively trivial to do that uh, serialization and deserialize? So you could, for example, could you put like a global side effect that anytime the state machine changes, it writes a new serialized version to local state. And then anytime you reload the page, it boots off of that. Yeah. When you create that service uh, calling the interpret method, which I also, I didn't mention this, but I do that. And then I store like the current state, the, the current running state machine in just a react context. And then I access it through, you know, I wrap everything with a provider and then I can access that through some custom hooks to get at what I need. And in there, like with that, the value that I'm storing in context, you could just give it like an on method and, or an on callback and Every time it gets a transition, you could like only on specific transitions or whatever, but in there you could have it update the local storage value from the context and then use that so that every time it, a transition happens or every time an action happens, write that to local storage as well or sync it up to a server or whatever you need to do. Can you tell the story of when you over-engineered our avatars? <laughs> 
I knew this was going to come up. I think we want to hear this one. <laughs> so originally in the, the game data, so just looking at the contestants list, there is name, and I'm looking at the one for our CSS tricks show. Mm-hmm. So there's like name, Chris Coyer, and then there's a handle in there. So Chris Coyer's handle on Twitter, which is just his name. And then I think you added avatar in there, which is a string to an image, like so that you could just pull that Yeah, and then has the score. And in my original design, there was only name, handle and score, but no avatar because I was like, oh, if I know their Twitter handle, I can just go fetch that and use it. But Twitter doesn't allow cores calls. So I just created a simple node server that would just relay that Go grab it from Twitter and then pull it down. So he he replaced my hard-coded URL to an avatar image with a node server in order to resolve the exact same URL from Twitter. And I'm just loving this commit message you have, which it says add a service to handle avatar lookups. Do you remember <laughs> the message that you wrote in that? No. I mean, let's be honest. Who among us has not written a simple server to get around course issues and pull images from one of these social media services. I mean, <laughs> Me? I don't know. Really? I've done this like five times. <laughs> I just hard code it into the... Twitter makes it super hard. You know, just, just put the URL in there. Listen, they do. Listen to this commit message. It says, the service we were using to get Twitter avatars client site is no longer working. So this is a very simple TypeScript server that does exactly one thing, return the avatar for a Twitter handle. It's very small, untested, and doesn't handle errors very well. <laughs> <laughs> but it should do the trick and can stand as a basis for future server integration. Don't you love that pitch there at the end? Like, listen, <laughs> we get serious about this sucker. We're going to rewrite a whole server site thing. I love that message, Nick. I like that I called out that it's untested <laughs> it doesn't and work. doesn't handle errors well. Because usually that's just implied with my code. <laughs> wait, 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 why say my? Usually that's just implied with code. Yeah, that's true. You went above and beyond in that commit message. <laughs> I love it. I was going to say, Elon, if you're listening, that core support would be uh, something that you could bring to Twitter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Put that up to the priority list. Oh, funny. Well, it works. So you're, are you telling me in your rewrite, you went back to the URL? You know, like, I'm not going to have the whole Twitter service thing. You didn't, you? Yeah. Yeah. So this talk was yesterday, and I didn't actually start or finish the talk until Tuesday, the day before. But I had written rewritten the app using React and XState before that, like over the weekend. It just, like, I, I was on a crunch, basically, because of a bunch of different factors, but mostly kids, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I don't have a lot of time to free t- to, you know, work on fun project to over engineer a solution that yeah. worked just as well with a hard coded <laughs> URL. That's a good thing, Nick constraints constraints actually serve us well to keep things simple. Absolutely. Especially when somebody puts a goatsy up as their Twitter avatar and you live pull it in on the show. <laughs> 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 oh goodness. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. Millions of Square sellers use the Square app marketplace to discover and install apps they rely on daily to run their businesses. And the way you get your app there is by becoming a Square app partner. Let me tell you how this works. 
as a Square app partner, you can offer and monetize your apps directly to Square sellers in the app marketplace to millions of sellers. You can leverage the Square platform to build robust e-commerce websites, smart payment integrations, and custom solutions for millions of businesses. And here's the best part. You get to keep 100% of revenue while you grow. Square collects a 0% cut from your sales for the first year or your first 100 Square referred sellers. That way you can focus on building and growing your Square customer base and you get to set your own pricing models. You also get a ton of support from Square. You get access to Square's technical team using Slack. You get insights into the performance of your app on the app marketplace. And of course, you get direct access to new product launches. And all this begins at changelog.com square. Again, changelog.com square. Hey, since it's Nick Nisi day here at JS Party, it's pro tip time. Nick, take it away. Pro tip time. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Spectacular. All right. Pro tip time is a time in which we share some pro tips. Let's do it. Nick, you're first. It's your show, baby. All right. You're the star. <laughs> I was trying to think of a pro tip. And I went to Twitter and I typed Nick Nisi pro tip to see if I had tweeted any pro tips. And uh, one came up from 2011, I think. So 11 years ago. Oh, wow. And it was pro tip. Don't check in broken code. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that ties well into your epic commit that we just read earlier. Exactly. <laughs> but no, then I was thinking about it a little bit more and I was going to talk about get work trees and I was like, I wonder if I've talked about that. And I went to JS party and I typed in the search and I found in our transcripts that I talked about that exactly three weeks ago from today. So I'm not going to use that one. Don't repeat yourself. Stay dry. <laughs> there you go. That can be your tip. So I do have one tip and I'm not sure if I've talked about it, but there's a cool website that is called conventionalcomments.org, And it's just uh, kind of a loose framework for doing pull request comments that I try and follow. And I really like it because I feel like just the simple act of labeling like triggers in my mind, a specific way to write the comments that I want to write on a pull request. And also I feel like it makes them impersonal in a good way to where it doesn't seem like I'm attacking your code. It's more of like just a, this is a labeled generic way of me telling you, this is something that I think is a suggestion that you could do. This is an issue that I see that is blocking or non-blocking. This is just a little nitpick I have, or this is some praise, which I always try and give a little bit of praise on anything just to have that nice uh, compliment or criticism sandwich. That was a very nice pro tip, Nick. Yeah, I like it. I'm looking at this. This is great. I'm going to share this in at work. And I've seen variations of it where they use like different emoji to signify different things, which I like too. For Ross, do you have a pro tip for us? Does this have to be a developer-centric, nah. or can it be anything? Okay. It's loose. All right. I have a pro tip. You should all go see Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Okay. It's a movie. It's incredible. It's hard to describe, but it's one of the best movies I've seen in years. Go see it in the theater. It's awesome. It's like 
a darling of the critics, but also of like normal people too. It has like 99% on Rotten Tomatoes from like viewers and from critics. Wow. Yeah, it's like really good. What kind of movie is it? Is it like uh, take a date or is it like take a kid? Is it like go with your, your homies? What kind of movie is this? I wouldn't take a date. I would go with your homies or go alone, maybe. Okay. Don't take your kids. It's intense. It'll make you reconsider a lot of things in your life. You'll want to just go on like a, like a couple hour walk afterwards and just think about all of your life decisions and how you got to where you are. Okay. <laughs> in a good way. In a good so way. go alone, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go alone or go with someone you want to talk to yeah. afterwards. Contemplative. Contemplative mood you should be in before. Yeah. 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 It's intense. Okay. But really good. Really good. I'm going to follow that tip. I'm going to see it. I have a couple other ones that are not, uh, that are more coding related. Pro tip is if you're, if you have a site that needs to fetch data from NPM, we were just talking about course headers. There's now course headers on the NPM JS package metadata endpoints. So you can pull like package metadata and package tarballs directly from npmjs.com now without having to build a, a proxy server. You hear that, Twitter? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. You can do it, too. All you need to do is get bought by Microsoft. K-Ball, got any pro tips? Oh, yeah. I have one that y'all, I think, probably have heard variations of this before from me, but it's been crystallizing in my head over the last year ago, which is to deliberately embrace and name your personal personas. What are the roles that you play in different ways? How are they different? And the example I'm going to draw for you is me from my life. I have two personas that I use all the time, Kevin and K-Ball. You've only seen K-Ball on JS Party. <laughs> K-Ball comes to JS Party. And here's the thing. Kevin is an introvert. He's shy. He doesn't like going up to people. Uh, he doesn't know. He needs a lot of alone time and quiet time. K-Ball is an extrovert. Brings the energy, excited about all sorts of stuff, jumping in talking all the, off the top of my head. And these are two different modes. And over time, I've actually very deliberately started to, to think about and embrace these as different personas for myself and think about in a particular situation, which one of these personas needs to show up? If I'm giving a talk or I'm hosting a, a meeting or doing something like that, K-Ball probably needs to show up. When I'm doing a one-on-one -on -one with someone or talking about something that's you know a little more sensitive, that, that should probably be Kevin. And it really shockingly helps. Like, I know a lot of people who have public speaking anxiety, and I used to as well. And K-Ball has no public speaking anxiety. And I can say that honestly. If I get myself into the K-Ball mode, I can get up on stage in front of hundreds of people and just go, and it's fine. So thinking about what are those aspects of yourself that maybe they're not fully fleshed out yet. Maybe that you only occasionally have been in that mindset or whatever, but like, what are they that would help you in your life and like name them and think about them and figure out how to bring them on for yourself and like go with it. And at least for me, it's been phenomenally helpful. Cable, have you been watching Severance? Nah, no, I don't even know what it is. It's basically that as a TV show. I don't really watch TVs or or movies. I've had in the back of my head a, a talk that's like your Twitter handle is your rapper name, like around that idea a little bit, but like a bit really in the last year or two has been crystallizing. Like this is an incredibly useful tool to get yourself into different mental zones and do things that, that are uncomfortable for you is like create a persona, find the, the part of you that is a persona and like give it life. That persona is not bothered by this. Nice. So if this was severance, K-Ball and Kevin wouldn't know each other and you'd send K-Ball to work. And Kevin would live your personal life and K-Ball would just have to work all day. Eh, I don't 
know. Think about it. If I go to a party, I got to embrace K-Ball. Yeah. I'm somebody who is not, has historically often not been comfortable going to parties, especially if I don't know that many people there. It was really hard in college. I didn't have that K-Ball persona to lean onto. But I think post-pandemic, I mean, it's hard to go to parties when you have kids. But if I ever go to a party, I'm bringing K-Ball, man. <laughs> like, he's going to do so much better than Kevin. <laughs> this is so appropriate because the the movie I mentioned, Everything Everywhere All at Once, is also about like these alternate reality versions of yourself that like could have been. And it, it has a bit of a Matrix vibe where they they'll jump into that persona and out of that persona. And they'll, so they'll have completely different skills and life experiences and behave completely differently when, when they need to, to like accomplish things in the movie. So it's, uh, it's just like that. I like, it. I've got to think about this as well. You know, I actually went the other direction though. I used to have a online persona and I ditched him and I was like, you know, I'm just Jared everywhere I go. I'm Jared. And I think that served me well. So maybe you can have multiple strategies. That being said, I do have a pro tip, and it's take a hike, man. Take a hike. Now, we probably all know this, so this is more of a reminder than a tip, which is oftentimes we get stuck, and the best way to get unstuck is to step away and take a hike. Hike is a placeholder for take a walk, take a shower, take a nap, take a break, get away from the keyboard. I just was reminded of this, was it yesterday or two days back? I was sitting there banging my head against this function that I'm riding, and it's one of these situations where like there's five or six different potential like entry points into the function where data could be in these different states. And there's a couple nested ifs. And then there's like, it just got over my head and I just couldn't think straight through it. It's like 4.30 PM on a Tuesday. So not my best thinking time. And I sat there for 45 minutes and just said, no, nah, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to bang my head through it. And I never figured it out. It's just like, I had it kind of working at the end of the day, but it's just, I, it wasn't there. And I just left and went home. I was already at home, but went the rest of the way home down the stairs, took a break, actually slept on it completely at that point and woke up in the morning and was driving to work out. And I was just, I just, that problem popped up in my head and I saw it so much more clearly. And I was like, actually, if I early return on this part, this particular case, Everything else is simple, but I was trying to like handle that case as well throughout these other conditions. And it was just like every, everywhere I went, that one little edge kept breaking all of my structure. And I had it where it was like, I hate when you have logic that requires itself to run in the same order every time, if you know what I mean. Like if you can reorder them and they still make sense, I think it's just safer code on the long term. It was so order dependent. And I was like, actually, if I just handle this one case right up front, get rid of that one. The other ones jive. And it was just like, it wasn't even that hard of a problem, but it just snapped. It just snapped. So I'm the kind of guy that will sit there and, and just force myself to figure it out. And even if I do, it's like, well, that took two and a half hours, but if I would have stepped away, taken a hike, taken a walk. It probably would have taken 20 minutes versus the two and a half that it took me. So just a reminder that we often come up with our best solutions when our mind is not actively trying to solve that problem, but is doing some other aspect of life. So Take a hike. It'll help. You want to know what comes up when you Google take a hike? Sure. All the synonyms. Oh. Go away. Get out. Leave. Be off with you. Shoot. Make yourself scarce. On your way. Beat it. Push off. Clear off. Clear out. Shove off. Scram. Scoot. Skedaddle. Buzz off. <laughs> there's some, and there's some vulgar ones here too. <laughs> I'm not going to say. <laughs> Faras, are you appealing to authority again? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I am. Authority Google. 
I didn't know there were so many ways to say this. <laughs> I was going to say that must be a common phrase because there's so many different ways of saying the same thing. So, <laughs> Yeah, it says the definition is go away, use this as an expression of irritation or annoyance. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of t- different ways to say that. Is there a particular way that works for you best to take a hike? For me? Yeah, like is it a shower epiphany that, that often happens or is it? So if I'm actively trying to solve a problem, it's usually literally a walk. But I do have great ideas in the shower compared to my other ideas. It's all relative, right? (laughs) But that's not usually when I don't like take a shower in order to solve a problem that I can't solve. But like something I can do is really just walking or riding a bike. Like those two things are usually the best for me. But, you know, that's weather dependent. So you got to have some solutions when you can't get outside. But I think getting outside is the best. What about you guys? Mm -hmm. You could just come live in California and then you can get outside 300 and... (laughs) 40 days of the year or something. I think everyone's moving the other direction, Cable. No one's moving in. They're all moving out at this point. I know. As soon as they realize our winters are terrible, (laughs) they're going to move back. (laughs) It's ridiculously expensive, but I can go for a walk like all but like 20 days of the year. I love San Diego weather and uh, I like San Diego in general. And so I would be very happy to live there. There's something about the springtime in Nebraska when you haven't had it all, you know, for the last three months. Where it's like, if it's always sunny in 70, that's a nice life. But if it's not, and then, but today it's sunny in 70, there's something just much more sweet about that. And so I do appreciate the seasons, even though I super appreciate San Diego weather. Do you do long fasts as well? (laughs) I try to break my fast daily. (laughs) That was fine, Jared, before the pandemic, when you could actually go places when it was cold. But it's just been awful this winter and the last winter and the winter before. It's been a rough couple of years, but you know. It's easy to say now because it's springtime. So I'm looking outside thinking. Is it though? It was like 20 degrees yesterday. Today. Today's the day, Nick. Okay, we got to end the show because we're going outside. (laughs) Thank you everybody for listening. Thanks guys for hanging out. On behalf of Nick Nisi, K Ball, and for us, Abuka DJ, I've been Jared Santo. This is JS Party. And we will talk to you guys all next week. Our quiz game repo is linked up in the show notes. Nick got it all set up with both the Dojo and React versions side by side. If you want to write an implementation with your favorite front end tools, fork away and let us know what you're up to. We'd love to be involved. There's a bonus eight minutes coming up for Changelog++ members. It starts with us continuing to pick apart Nick's over-engineered, in my opinion, avatar service and ends with a game plan around Twitter's Blue Sky project. For those not in the know, a++ membership also drops the ads, levels up the bitrate, and directly supports the pod. Sign up today at changelog.com slash plus plus. Thanks once again to Fastly for CDNing for us, to Breakmaster Cylinder for these fresh beats, and to you for listening. We appreciate you. Next up on the pod, were SPAs a big mistake? We debate on the return of Yep Nope. This is a fun one. You don't want to miss it. We'll have it ready for you next week. Elon Musk is buying Twitter. I'm buying JavaScript.